Okay, let's come back together, find our seats. That was just a joyous thing, and um, I love the energy of kids. It reminds us that um, family life happens, and we love our kids, and we train our kids, and it's just a joyful, joyful, wonderful thing. Okay. That's one way to hype up for the pastor to come up. <laughs> Thank you, Jeremiah. Do you know where that's from? Have you seen something like that before? It said Dodgers. Did it say Dodgers? This is, this is something that they will play at a baseball game, in this case, at Dodger Stadium. Usually they play this around the seventh or eighth inning when your team is either behind by eight runs or ahead by eight runs and the crowd has lost interest, right? Because they're like, okay, we've got to get people back into this. We've got to get people to make some noise. And some stadiums, I don't know, I think the Duck Stadium has those little noise um, meter that goes up. And what are they trying to do? They're trying to generate excitement in you to get you to make noise. Um, We talked about using this as my standard walk-up music now. Um, No, we're not going to. That is not where we're going. Um, But this is a great idea for, or this is a great illustration of what we're going to see in our text today. Now, what's interesting is that a baseball game, if you get to the ninth inning, or as we were in the tenth inning when we went as a church, and there's a walk-off hit for a, a win, the place erupts with noise, right? And they don't put up the sign that says, make some noise. Why not? They don't need to, right? Because the events, the circumstances are like, you can't help but make noise. You're excited. This is amazing. Now, you're probably wondering, what does this have to do with church? This is the strangest intro we've ever had. Well, maybe not for me. But um, (laughs) think about this for a minute. Both of the Psalms we're covering today talk about making a joyful noise. And the word for make a joyful noise is literally to shout exuberantly, a victory yell, a a, a yell of praise. And and much like at a baseball game when something happens, it's that, yes, this this is great. And both of the Psalms instruct us to do that. But when we come to worship, we have some choices. Do we contrive that? Do we fake that? Do we force ourselves to do that? Or do we look for a motivation like we have when something actually good happens at a baseball game? Do we look for a motivation that will generate that? And in both Psalm 98 and Psalm 100, we're going to look at both of them today. The Psalms give us instruction of what to think about, what to motivate us, how to come to worship to where we are gladly making a joyful noise to the Lord instead of grudgingly making a joyful noise to the Lord. And so as we look at these two psalms, I want to think, okay, how, how does this help us make some noise for God? Make a joyful noise for God. How does this help us have a heart of worship rather than just going through a few songs or going through some scripture reading and say, I'm going to endure this so I get to the walk-up music for the pastor? I, I don't know. But how do we have the right heart as we come to worship? So turn with me to Psalm 98 and Psalm 100. We'll be looking at 98 first, and then we'll be looking at 100. And 100 is one of the the two most memorable psalms, or the psalms that people knows. But I wanted to pair it with 98 because 
what we have here from Psalm 93 to 99, these are the kingship psalms. These are the ones praising God as king, sometimes called the enthronement psalms. And so these are saying, Yahweh is king. This is amazing. Let's praise him. And they go through some of the results of praise for Yahweh. They go through some of the the results of trusting in Yahweh and some of those things. But this is all about Jesus or God as king. In Psalm 100, we see the culmination or a summary psalm of all those kingship psalms. So today we're going to hit one kingship song and then the, the summary song. Remember, these are worship songs. These are songs that they would regularly sing. And, and what's fun about 98 is as we read it, and, and a lot of the scholars, and we don't know this for sure, but a lot of the scholars think that probably Psalm 98 was written later than most of the other psalms. And possibly written around the time that God is, is doing some great things in Israel to bring them back from captivity into the land. And so we're, we're quite a ways after David, right? We already have the split kingdom. We have both kingdoms have fallen. The southern kingdom has gone to captivity in Babylon. And this is quite possibly, as they are coming back from Babylon, something they waited 70 years for God to do, and now they see the victory of the Lord. Might that be a cause to make a joyful noise? Might that be an amazing time because they knew God had forgiven their sins and brought their nation back? And so in Psalm 98, we're going to answer the question, why make a joyful noise? And it's separated into three stanzas. And just to give you a hint, we're going to make a joyful noise because of what God has done in the past, what he is doing in the present, and what he's going to do in the future. So let's start with the first three verses. Why make a joyful noise? Because of how God has worked in the past and in your past. And and he... So I want us to think about this from the general work of God to the specific work of God in our lives. So we start at 98 verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the, right, in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And in these three verses, as we start to to think about how to make a joyful noise, which will be verse 4, he starts with saying, remember what God has done in the past. Remember his work. And all three of those verses, if you notice, look for repetition as you study God's word. All three of those verses mention the salvation of the Lord, right? And and so we, what do we think of when we think salvation? We think Jesus and the cross and dying for our sins, the empty tomb and, and, and forgiveness of sins to eternal life. And rightfully so, that is, is part of God's saving work, right? That's part of his help. In the Old Testament, they didn't know about Jesus yet. They would have also been thinking of a whole number of ways that God showed his help or his salvation. When they hear the word that God shows his salvation, they can think back to the Exodus. They can think back to what God has done to bring them out of of slavery. They can think back to the Red Sea. When they were trapped and the Egyptian army is coming and all of a sudden God opens a way and then maybe takes care of the Egyptian army in the process. 
they can think back to the Jordan River as they're coming into the land. And God uses wind to set maybe a mile wide of of flood stage river on its head and let them pass. They can think through God giving them the land. They can think through over and over what God has done. And for them, that would have all been part of this word salvation. Because salvation had the idea of, of victory. It had the idea of help. It had the idea of God coming alongside and doing what only God can do to save us and to help us. For us, it's very appropriate then to, to think in terms of the cross and of salvation and forgiveness of sins because that is ultimately how God helps us through Jesus Christ on the cross. And so we come to these verses, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. And we get that new song, uh, again, we've seen that over and over, a freshness to worship. And, and often this word is used when God gives a new victory, people write a new song. When God does a new work in your life, there's usually a new song that somehow reflects that or a song maybe you haven't heard before, but a new expression of praise to God. And so then we see that that he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. And so we know right from the the start, salvation and victory are from the Lord. Marvelous things, that is the miraculous. Okay, so it's not just, wow, that's I I got a good parking spot. Marvelous things are things that only God can do. And it's paired with his right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for them. And, And these were used of the power of God the strength of God. And so when we read this, these two together should remind us, how has God fought the fight for us? How has God done what only God can do to get me through a tough time? How have I seen God work in the world? How have I heard God work in missionaries' lives? So so this directs us to think, what can God do? Not what can I do, but what can only God do What has he done? What is amazing that he has done? Verse 2 goes on, The Lord has made known his salvation. Again, that word again, his help. Something only he can do to come alongside us and get us through a situation. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. And here we we see the psalmist expanding it to, okay, God is helping you and praise God for salvation, but there's a bigger purpose for what you're going through, right? He has has shown his salvation where? In the sight of the nations. And I read that and I'm reminded that sometimes I don't know why God's doing what he's doing. But I know that his right hand is my salvation and I know that he's using this to tell the nations who he is or to tell others who he is who he is. That is so important as we go through some of the junk in our lives to realize it might not be all about me. It might not be all about my comfort. It might not be all about me getting what I want. Maybe God is showing his salvation and his arm of power and his love and his grace and his mercy for someone else to see. And so as we go through things, our mind should be, how can I show Christ? How can I, to the nations, for us, to the person that's watching us next door, how can I show Christ to someone else? Because maybe that's what this is about. If one more soul comes into the kingdom, anything we go through is worth it. 
Now that does require us to get out of our own heads, out of this is all about me, to say this is all about Jesus. All about God. Verse 3, same same theme. He has remembered his steadfast love, his said love, this covenant faithfulness. I will love you unconditionally. He has remembered that and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And so they are remembering what has God done for Israel? And that then if he does it for Israel, others can see that and see who God is. And so we see a worship component in these verses. We see a missions component. And part of our role in missions is to sing, is to tell what God has done, is to be excited about God. Someone, someone excited about God is so much more attractive in evangelism than someone that has the message that says, just don't fry. It, it, right? What, what do we have that's, that's showing people what a relationship with God can look like? And so the first section here, the psalmist is saying, remember what God has done. Remember God's salvation. How has he helped you? You know, questions we can ask, how has God worked recently in your life? In a way that only he can work. Or what has he taught you recently? And, and today as we go through these psalms, I, I want us to put it into practice. And so I'm going to ask, just for a couple people, what has God done in your life recently? What has he taught you in your life recently? You can talk at this point. In a couple sentences. Patience. Amen. Thankfulness. Okay? Remembering what he's done, and we're going to get there in, in both of the Psalms today. Full surrender. That is not an easy lesson to learn. But full surrender, but it's worth it. Walking with Christ is worth it. One more. That's something God has done. Showed you mercy, faithful to provide. These are all things that we need to be learning and remembering how to rehearse because they draw our focus back to God to make a joyful noise rather than just a sign that says make some noise. When we remember these things. Now, this is a hard exercise. We, we did this on our way here this morning in the car. And we, we, okay, what are you thankful for that only God has done? And there's always this time of silence at the beginning because we don't think this way. It's not a habit. What if we got in the habit? I'm going to talk about this when we get to Thanksgiving. What if we got into a habit where every Sunday morning or Saturday night we did this as families? Might that change how we even come to worship? And so this is reorienting our our focus to God Almighty rather than to our own stuff. The the psalmist then in verses 4 through 6 goes on. So one through three is what has God done in the past? Four through six, why make a joyful noise? Because God is king over the earth and our lives now. And so the, the, the tense and everything moves now to the present. How is God with us now? How is he king now? Verse four, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. And so, so right there you get the command, make some noise, but make a joyful noise. What kind? This victory cry, a war cry, a cheer. This might be how the word that they would use for greeting a king on his arrival. Okay, so this is, this is exciting stuff. We can get excited as we worship. We can praise God. And with a voice, we're going to see, then he goes into with a horn. But he's saying, make 
a joyful song. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. And this breaking forth is it just, it's unfettered joy. It has to come out. The pressure is too great as we focus on what God has done that I have to have joy, that I have to praise him. And then in five and six, not just with the voice, but with your instruments in this case, or with everything you have. He says, sing praises to the Lord with the lyre and with a stringed instrument and with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpet and the sound of the horn. And the word for horn there is shafar, a ram's horn, like we blew this morning to start with. Make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. And again, it's all caps there. So before Yahweh, his name. And so, so why make a joyful noise? Because God is king over all, all the earth and our own personal lives. Everyone should use everything they can to praise their king. And so in these three verses, we're introduced to the idea of kingship, that this is why we praise, but then use your voice, use your instrument, use your talents, use your abilities. Everything should direct to the point of how do we praise God. Everything we do, how do we bring glory to God? And that's decisions, that's ways we think throughout the week. How is this going to bring glory to God? Because we are coming before the king to worship. We are coming before the Lord. Zechariah 9.9 has a prophecy that's, that's after this, but it has much the same idea. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And it gets the idea of praising God, shouting a, a, a joy, making a joyful noise, shouting a joyful noise, because your king is coming and he's going to save you. And then you catch where it went? Riding a donkey, a foal of a donkey. Does that bring up some imagery of Christ? And so Zechariah is taking... a a common thought in the Psalms and in prophecy and now tying it to the coming Christ. It's a beautiful thing when when you start to see how all these things link together. Like I said, the tone of these these three verses is the present. Make a joyful noise now before the King, before the Lord. And as I was reflecting on that this week, I was thinking, why King? Well, I, I know it's one of the kingship psalms, and that just that, so it got put there. But think of the title king for God. And think of the title Lord. And, and those together, king and Lord, is someone that is sovereign over our lives. Someone that has authority, but also is working all things for his purposes. He is working things for our good, whether we see it or not. And so when we see king, when we see Lord, what we're seeing is submit to him, surrender to him. Understand he's got this. Trust him with this. Have you gone through anything recently that you really could use a king for? Or a Lord that's got it for you? And he's got it. He promises it. And when we see him work, we can't help but worship. And we can't help but have joy. We long for a king when we're in trouble. But do we live like we have a king and a Lord in ordinary life? And that's the challenge of this middle section. God is at work now still. 
He wants to be king. He wants to be Lord. He is sovereign over your life. So when you hit things that make you want to distress, that make you want to worry, that make you want to give up, you have a king. You have a Lord. He's got it. So rather than than succumb to worry and spiral down, trust God with it and, and praise him. And then you're spiraling up. And so we make a joyful noise because we remember what God has done in the past. We need to be rehearsing that. But also, we know that he is Lord and King now. Even in a world where it doesn't feel like that sometimes. It's not out of his control. It's not out of his hand. We can trust him. And then 7 through 9, the last stanza of this psalm moves to a thought about the future. Why do we make a joyful noise? Because God will make things right in the world and our lives in the future. Because God will make things right in this fallen world and in your life in the future. We can rest in that. We can take that to the bank. And so throughout this psalm, he's been expanding who worships from, from a, a small, um, small group to the nations, and now he goes to all creation. That all creation should make a joyful noise because God will take care of the world that is growing, groaning under sin and the fall. Verse 7, 8, 9. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. And he's using a variety of different elements to say everything, all of creation. Let it praise God. Why in verse 9? Sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. And so we see this this picture. And and again, Psalms are pictures. And this picture of all of creation, all of nature, praising God and, and existing for the glory of God. And in this case, because they know God will make it right. You can watch the news and get really depressed. You can watch the news and think this world is going downhill. And it is. Because of sin and because of the fall. This started in Genesis 3. And we live in a Genesis 3 world. But the end of the story is God will make it right. Sin will be judged. Creation will be restored to himself. And it will be a wonderful thing for those who trust him and have put their faith in him. And so the psalmist here is bringing us to the future and saying, think and understand, know that God will make it right. The most unfair situation that you have seen, the most unfair situation you've been part of, God will make right. Because he is a God of justice. Now, it may not be the way you want to make it right. It may not be the revenge you want. It may not be any of that. But he will make it right. And sin will be judged. And those that have believed in Jesus Christ and allowed his righteousness to come on them will be justified and live in eternity with God. And so this is a, verse 9 is about his righteous reign, his rule that is coming, that there will be a second coming. And all of this reminds us of Romans 8.20 where he does, Paul does say, all creation is groaning because of the fall, but... But God is coming. It won't groan forever. We won't live in a fallen world forever. If we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the future is bright.
And so Psalm 98 says, make a joyful noise to the Lord by remembering what he's done and, and his powerful works, by knowing that he's covering you now as Lord and King, and by knowing that he is future judge that will restore righteousness to all things. And so then flip over to Psalm 100. And this is the, the summary of all these, the, the preceding seven, um, seven chapters and the culminating one. And this is the familiar psalm, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. And so this psalm answers the question, not why make a joyful noise, but what is part of making a joyful noise? Now there's overlap. It'll, it'll say why, and it'll talk about the character of God and bring us back to that because we always should go back to that. But it also brings in elements of, okay, what does it look like to make a joyful noise to God? Because here's the thing. Joyful noise doesn't just mean I can sing off key as loud as I can and you have to endure it. That's how we usually... Now, that might be part of it. Because I'm making a joyful noise to God. Joyful noise is an act of praise, an act of worship that is so much more than singing off key. It is so much more in our lives. And Psalm 100 when we rightfully understand that, begins to explain that to us. It's a psalm for giving thanks. That's the title you have on Psalm 100. And that's really what it is. How do we praise God? How do we give thanks to God? How do we have hearts of thanksgiving? And what we're going to see in this is it's really split into two couplets. One through three is one couplet that talks about what to do to give a joyful noise, character of God. Then you have four and five, what to do to give a joyful noise, character of God. So you understand by two couplets, they, they, they're um, two different points, but they both say, what does it look like to make a joyful noise? What should we do in worship because of this about God? And the other one says the same thing. And so we're going to look at this. This psalm has six commands in this short, short, short psalm. And sometimes with songs, it's just really fun to get into the, to diagram it and the English of it. And I'm not going to put anything up. But the two couplets, there's three commands in the first one and three characteristics of God. The second one has three more commands, three more characteristics of God. And so it's, from a literary sense, those of you that are, are literary nerds, like, and that's okay, I don't say that in a negative way, um, this is beautiful writing. This is, this is marvelous poetry. And so we start one through three, and point number four in your notes what is part of making a joyful noise? Serving gladly and singing are part of the noise we make for our shepherd. Serving gladly and singing are part of the noise we make for our shepherd. The six commands or the, the three imperatives here are shout, serve, and come. I think I put those as bullet points in your notes and didn't even leave them blanks. So you have them. Shout, serve, and come. Shout is from verse one. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. And we've already talked about that, but the, the make a joyful noise is that cheer, that shout that we should be making for God. And so it's a reminder to come to worship and be excited about God. Come to worship and praise him. And then verse two, serve the Lord with gladness is the second imperative. Serve the Lord with gladness. And it's interesting when, when we think serve, we, we can think very specifically, and there, there's two different range of meanings here. One for serve is to like serve a king in his court, and, and it would involve giving praise, and that is giving service to him. When we think serve, we think doing God's work, right? We think ministry, whether that be teaching or whether that be cleaning up or assembling a shed or working in nursery, those are all serving. 
And, and so is this worship or is this acts of worship for God? Serving. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's both. And, and the word actually means both. And um, one, of the, one of the commentators said, serve. It is a word which leaves no gap or choice between worship and work. Well, I can appreciate that. Because if we worship God, we'll do what he wants us to do. It, it, and so these two have to go together. And so the psalmist says, what's part of making a joyful noise? What's part of worship? Serve the Lord with gladness. And the with gladness, I think, needs to be part of this. Not grudgingly, but to say, God's worth it. Is God worth your time? Is the king of the universe that made all things, that is watching over your present and has your future under control, is he worth giving a little bit of time to in praise and service? That's what the psalmist is reminding us. Serve the Lord with gladness. The Apostle Paul, through the Holy Spirit in Romans 12, picks up the same idea, right? In verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And and so he's talking about worship, and and he goes on, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And Paul is saying worship is so much more than a song. It's so much more than an hour and a half on Sunday morning. It's presenting yourself as, to God for his service. This is our spiritual act of, of, of service. Now you can come and, and you can serve God grudgingly and you can serve God because it's a job and you have to and oh, I just can't even face the, those kids this week. Whatever, you can come that way and be faithful and still do it. And we should be faithful when we have commitments. Or we can come and say, I'm doing this on behalf of the King of Kings. And this is a beautiful thing. And the attitude that we come to service with, if we understand this is a joy, this is an opportunity, the attitude will often dictate the outcome of your ministries here. Because especially if you're working with kids or youth, they can smell falsehood a mile away. And um, you know what? I'm okay with that. Because it challenges us, holds us accountable to make sure we're loving God and doing this out of a love for God. So we have shout. We have serve with gladness because God wants his children to be glad just like you would want your children to be glad. Your goal isn't to make them cry, I hope. Um, Your goal is gladness. Yes, discipline has to come in there. And then the final instruction in this first couplet, come into his presence with singing. So we have shout, serve, and come. And the singing, singing is important. It's part of worship. We have instructions throughout Scripture to sing. And because singing expresses emotions and the heart and the soul in a different way. Now, worship is also reading the Word. And we had that in our service this morning. Worship is also prayer. And we had that in our service this morning. Worship is studying God's Word. And we're doing that right now. This is all worship. But the psalmist is here, here is saying, don't forget singing. Because sometimes singing can be the odd man out. Well, if we're going to, you know, if we're going to cut anything, let's cut some of the singing. And we forget that that is an essential part of coming to the Lord. It is essential. And so the psalmist says, come, come together with singing. Come into his presence with singing. We are coming into the very presence of the Lord our God. 
Now, to come into his presence with singing, we have to come. Is that the obvious statement of the day? Uh, one of the stats that, that in some of the leadership stuff we, we hear is that normal church attendance or consistent church attendance now is considered two times a month. And I, I'm not here to guilt anyone because I'm, I'm all for vacations. I've taken a bunch this summer um, with my family. But is our heart to come before the Lord's presence and worship him? Because that'll be more than two times a month. This will be a priority. And the psalmist is saying, if we're to make a joyful noise to God, if we're to experience the vibrancy of that relationship, then yes, shout, then serve, but come. Be part of it. Be part of community. In verse 3, the psalmist then covers, okay, who God is. He says, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And, and the three things you see there is he is God, he is creator, and he is our shepherd. All in one quick verse. This is beautiful poetry. He is God, he is creator, our shepherd. It's interesting. He is God, so we shout to him as king. He is creator, so we serve him because we owe him that as creator. He is our shepherd, so we come to him and we trust him. Don't miss the shepherd imagery in this. I know it's the, the last phrase of verse 3, the sheep of his pasture. But it means we can come to him. We can trust him. We can depend on him. When you think of what a shepherd does, you can think protection, guidance, and provision. If you really want all P's, you can do protection, pointing, and provision. But the shepherd protects his sheep, watches out for them, and God does that for us. Guidance or pointing. God gives us direction and points us in the right direction. And then provision. God gives us what we need when we need it. He gives us the food we need. His word has given all we need to live for him. If we'll just be in it. If we'll just do it. And finally, we get to 4 and 5, the end of Psalm 100. Be extraordinarily thankful because of his good love, care, and faithfulness. Be extraordinarily thankful because of his good love, care, and faithfulness. And this is part of making a joyful noise. We see thankfulness tied back in. Verse 4, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. And this, this whole verse is filled with this idea of, of gratitude and thanksgiving. The three commands here are enter, thank, and bless. Enter, thank, and bless. And so we enter his gates with thanksgiving. We come. We, we, we can't walk close to God if we're not coming, if we're not part of a church, if we're not part of an assembly. It just can't happen. But come with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving meaning the idea of gratitude and praise for what God has done. And then he, he repeats that and, and into his courts with praise. So we're coming with thanksgiving. We're, com- we're entering with praise. And then the second command, give thanks to him, repeats this idea of thanksgiving. We talked about this in the, se- in the second hour last week. Thanksgiving keeps coming up over and over, right? All through scripture, do this with thanksgiving. Do this with thanksgiving. Thank God for this. Be thankful for this. I, come on, don't we get it? No, we don't. We struggle with being a grateful people. And not thinking I deserve this. 
or not thinking I did this myself. See, thanksgiving combats, directly combats pride and self-centeredness because it is acknowledging that I didn't do this and someone else did this for me. And so we come, we enter with the right attitude. And then while we're here, we give thanks to him. What has he done? And we already practiced this when I asked what he has done, but this is, this is, a, a, this is forming our attitude when we come. When we did our introduction to Psalms, we talked about Psalms aren't just emotional poems. They are poems of doctrine designed to guide our emotions. And here he's guide, the psalmist is guiding our emotions and saying we should be thankful and be praised uh, and praise him, but we have to be careful to have gratitude and remember to do this and not be full of ourselves. What's the opposite of thanksgiving? Give me some words. Ingratitude? Yeah? Entitlement? Discontent? Pride? Yeah, all of these things are the opposite of things. Now, ever come come to church with those attitudes? I have. And it taints the whole morning, doesn't it? It taints how I interact with every person. It taints how I filter every situation. And, and so the psalmist here is saying, you want a better experience entering the gates? Start with thanksgiving. Start with gratitude. It, it fights off bitterness. It fights off grumbling. It fights off anger. It fights off coming with clenched teeth. And so I, I challenge you, make this part of your routine. Every weekend, whether it be Saturday night or Sunday morning, make it part of your routine to change your mindset. What has God done this week? What can I thank him for? What can I be grateful for? And then that leads to the last command there, bless. The idea of speaking well of someone. Bless his name. Don't be ashamed of him, but, but speak well of him. Again, if we're bitter, angry, ungrateful, you're not going to speak well of God. But if I'm overwhelmed that I am undeserving and he died on the cross for my sins and he's given me his righteousness and his forgiveness and he as Lord is coming and helping me get through what I'm getting through right now, oh, praise God. And now I'm going to tell people that. I'm going to bless people with that. Bless is also a, a outward command, right? This is something I do that people can see, whether it be with my speech or with my attitude or with my actions. How am I making God big? And you've heard me say that a lot with Psalms because I feel like that keeps coming up. How am I making God big with people around me? How am I blessing him? Bless his name, who he is, his character. And one of the things I just want to mention, we have, we have invited cards. This might be a great way to bless the Lord and, and get us to be able to speak. Lord. These are all at the, the welcome booth, and there's a stack of them out there this morning. This is a great thing that if you're talking to someone, be able to turn the conversation to Christ and say, you know what? This is my church. Why don't you come? We'd love to have, we, we praise God there. We worship God. We study his word just a tool to get us to be more verbal about our faith, more open with our faith. The psalmist then in verse 5 comes back to why. Okay, who God is. So each of these, like I said, are, are three commands, and then who God is. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Three things again. He's good. 
always, whether we see it or not, whether we understand. Do you believe that this morning? Is God good? No matter what you go through, is God good? God is good. And we need to keep telling ourselves that forming our, the way that we think and the way we understand. And the psalmist says, the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His unconditional love will never stop toward you. Never. It's not going to stop if you drive too fast on the way home. And I'm not saying do that. Because we love him, we'll, we'll obey laws. And, and it's, it's not going to stop if we mess up. But his forgiveness and his grace will flow over that. His steadfast love, his covenant love, his self-sacrificing, unfailing love will last forever. And that leads to the last one. It just flows out of that. His faithfulness to all generations. Now think about that phrase. His faithfulness, not just to me, but to all generations. It's a statement of, of the breadth of God, that he is eternal, but also as we did a child dedication this morning. We are declaring his faithfulness to the next generation of a, a, of a little, little boy full of energy and praying for patience for, for parents. But that's God's faithfulness to the next generation. And so we see how God is working in all of this. All of these two chapters are about making a joyful noise to God. Can we do that? Can we work on how we come? Come with gratitude and with thanksgiving. When we understand who God is, why wouldn't we want to enter his house and be here? When, when we think of his unconditional love, even when I blow it, why wouldn't we have an attitude of thanksgiving? Would we not bless him from generation to generation and tell his stories if we know that he's faithful to our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids? These these chapters aren't just putting up a, a sign and playing some, some hype music to say, make some noise. It's a challenge to say, God has done something incredible. Respond with praise. Because it's just, it's right, it's natural. So this week, if you're struggling with worship, if you're struggling with praise, spend some time thinking of what God has done. Spend some time rehearsing what he's done. Maybe ask the question, where would I be without Christ? That's a scary question. But oh, we end up in worship with that question. And let's praise him and let's be a congregation that praises him. Worship team, if you can come back up. We have to end these two chapters by praising God, by, by praising his name, the name Yahweh, and by lifting him high. You are creator of everything here. You are creator of us. You are king and you are Lord. And Lord, you have been faithful in the past over and over and over again, and, and you have secured our future. Oh Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We bless you. May we be a people that is so amazed by who you are that we can't help but worship. Thank you, God, for directing our thoughts to you today, off of everything else, but to your greatness. Help us to hold on to that and be a people of worship. In your precious name, amen.